The reading comes from Genesis 3, Isaiah 53, and Romans 8. I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his, head, his heel. To the woman he said, I will surely multiply your pain and childbearing. In pain you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be contrary to your husband, but he shall rule over you. And to Adam he said, because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground, for out of it you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. Who has believed what he has heard from us? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he grew up before him like a young plant and like a root out of dry ground. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him and no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds, we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to the slaughter, and like sheep that before its shearers is silent, so he opened not his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away. And as for his generation, who considered that he was cut out, cut off out of the land of the living, stricken for the transgression of my people? And they made his grave with the wicked and with the rich man in his death. Although he had done no violence, and there was no deceit in his mouth, yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief. When his soul makes an offering for guilt, he shall see his offspring. He shall prolong his days. The will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. Out of the anguish of his soul, he shall see and be satisfied. By his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous, and he shall bear their iniquities. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed in us to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience and he shall bear their iniquities. And we know 
that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. Amen. Good morning. I'm Howard Brown, the pastor here at Christ Central Church. I've been out for a few weeks vacationing, and I um, just thank people, uh, thank Will Barber, our intern, and our assistant pastors, uh, Tom Henry and Amari, for preaching while I was gone. Um, it is good to hear, man, the sermons were really good. And, you know, when you hear the sermons are as good as I heard you guys' sermons were, and I heard Amari second time, and Will, I'm like, maybe I can just sell some shells on the beach and just, you know how you always go through that when you're on vacation? You're like, maybe we could live here at the beach, but you can't. <laughs> and um, you actually have to come back home. Um, and uh, yeah, so I am glad to be back. And we're going to, I, I want to, uh, before we get started, thank uh, Missy. Missy, raise your hand. I know you, you, she not going to raise her hand. Chris, can you raise your hand? She, Chris is raising his hand, her hand for her. Um, she did our painting today. Appreciate that, Missy. And um, if you hear me say what our next sermon series is going to be, oh, maybe I shouldn't do this because what if you can't draw? Um, but if you think you have something that matches what we're doing, you could send it my way. I, I might not use it. Because, not because you can't draw, but it just might not fit this, that week, that time. Okay, I started something. Um, gosh, competition. It's just so bad. Um, he doesn't love me. I'm leaving that church. No. Um, so, we're going to continue our sermon series on I'm Asking for a Friend. And this is a third and final sermon on the question... If God is all-powerful, present, and good, then why do bad things happen, fill in the blank, right? Why do bad things happen to good people? Why do bad things happen to me? Whatever it is. Um, let, let me go ahead and say, just so you know, next week we will continue in this sermon series, and I'll be in the pulpit preaching for about four or five weeks now, um, but we will answer the question that I get a lot, which is, next week we'll talk about this, how can a person be a Christian and vote for or support fill in the blank. Okay, I'm not going to tell you what names I got in that blank. Okay, I got some names. I've been getting names of why, how can you be a Christian and vote for blank since we started this church, okay? So, it's the full spectrum of everything, and how could a Christian support blank. So what we're talking about uh, next week is definitely, and maybe it'll take more than one week, I don't know. I don't know these things till I get started, y'all. I'm not like that. So, um, but Christians and their politics as a barrier to belief from those on the outside. It's kind of sticky and messy, isn't it? Um, I don't know if I'm going to fix it, but we're going to at least see what Scripture has to say about it. Okay, may make it worse. But back to this sermon. We have looked at what it means in this kind of mini-series of uh, what it means that God is good. And then last time we looked at why things are so bad. And then this week we will look at right now how God fits in that gap between what we saw as good and bad. 
And as always, I need to let you know some things up front when I do these question sermon series. Um, not going to trick anyone or hide my intentions. This is a sermon and not a lecture. So this will eventually be about how we can find hope through Jesus in these questions. Okay, so if you can't hang in there, you know what the hook is, Jesus. Okay, if you can't handle that, th this ain't a lecture. You can call me, we can lecture, we can talk, I'll sit down with you, we, we can have a little philosophical deal, but you came to church, this is a sermon, okay? Um, and, but I like to, you know, be philosophical. I can be like everybody else. I got my opinions, but second point here is I'm going to do my best to give what the Bible says and not even my own opinion because I struggle with these things too. So if you got the question, I got the question. You know, I'm just like the pastor, which means I got to preach what God says in his word. I don't always like what it says myself, okay? It's hard for me myself. I'm growing to love what God is saying, just like you're growing to love what God says. I don't always, I didn't start out when I start doing these sermons and I'm looking for the answer. I get there, I'm like, oh, please don't let that be the answer. And it turns out that's the answer, right? So, personal philosophy to decide. Hopefully, you, you can hear what the Scripture says. And I expect that you will not agree with everything, but I ask you not to hate for the next whatever minutes it's going to take and try to take it in, okay? If you think you have a better answer, I would love to hear it. I'm not, not a challenge. It's just sort of let's, let's talk through some things. We have elders. We have women shepherds. We have deacons. We have other leaders in our church. They would love to sit down with you and talk through this deeper. This, sometimes these questions are not, these sermons, uh, questions that I'm, these questions I'm answering through these sermons hopefully are a beginning to a discussion and a journey for you. And I'm not playing theological Olympics up here. I know y'all are going through some real mess. Some of y'all have considered, I, I don't want to walk with God anymore. I don't want to hear anything from the Bible because I'm going through this stuff. As a pastor, I, I don't expect a magical result today where you hear it and boom, you get it logist logically and you kind of understand it philosophically. So now you're going to feel better. That's not how it works. Knowledge doesn't deal with the pain of suffering and hardship that you experience and what you see in the world. I patiently wait for you to get it too as the pastor of this church. And I wait for the Holy Spirit to take what you hear in the word. And sometimes it happens on that Sunday. Sometimes it happens seven years later on that Sunday, right? It takes time. So I'm trusting that you're not forcing it. I'm not forcing you to kind of get it all. Oh, I feel so good. Yeah, I understand why bad things are happening to me. Yay, hallelujah. I'm not asking that. Don't force it, but don't resist what God may be doing. And I believe he will visit you. He's faithful. The Bible says even to comfort us when we can't understand it. Because I got some things. I mean, sometimes Kelly said we need a testimony. I got some things. I just need comfort. I don't understand them. Being in this position up here does not mean I get it or I feel good all the time or I'm all cheery and worshipful. That's Kelly, not me. <laughs> I'm not a good worship leader. Y'all don't want me leading worship. <laughs> I come in here, I need it too. So why do bad things happen to people when there is good? 
and good, all-powerful, all-present God. Three things I want you to see here. And yes, we have a lot of scripture, and I'm going to probably skim most of it. Um, these passages are deep, y'all, okay? But we're going to be on the waiting board today, right? We're going to kayak through it. On vacation, we went kayaking. It was great. <laughs> Our little brown bodies kayaking. It was... I guess, you know, you don't see that a lot. I don't see a lot of brown bodies in the water kayaking, but we were there. <laughs> Kelly with her locks, Clark with his crazy hair. <laughs> you know, when you show up at the kayak rental place, the guy's like, y'all are the browns? Yes, we're the browns in two ways. <laughs> anyway, we're going to kayak. We're gonna, we hadn't done the wade boarding or whatever. We ain't done that yet. I haven't seen a lot of brown bodies doing that either. Mm -mm. We barely in the boat, right? We already tried that one time 400 years ago. Okay, we're not, that's, that's a little heavy. But so why do bad things happen to people when there is good, all-powerful? Man, why did I? Okay, see, I'm getting too loose. He's been on vacation and he's lost it. So why do bad things happen to people when there is a good, all-powerful, all-present God? Uh, three things I want you to see. First, because God is sovereign. Now, we've heard that almost every sermon, y'all. So get used to it. Sovereign is going to come up again because that's just who he is, right? So first of all, because God is sovereign. Secondly, because God is sometimes subversive, right? And finally, because God suffered for us to save us, right? Sovereign, subversive, suffered. I don't need to read through all of these passages, and I won't because you got some great reading there. For you to recognize clearly, and when I tell you these things, go back and read it again. Um, for you to recognize clearly that God is in charge in all of these situations. He's sovereign. <laughs> what, do I mean? what do I mean? He's one dealing directly with Adam and Eve and then sending the suffering servant, you see, in our Isaiah passage. And then in the excerpt from Romans, God is defining the effects of being in a broken relationship with him. He is the one judging and then determining the sentence of what it means to have disobeyed him, to now have the mark and weight of sin as part of who you are as a human being, what it means to not honor his holiness, and then it, what it means to have to live in the broken world because of it. And I went deeper on this in part two of this miniseries. Go back and look at it. Right? But, but, but listen to it. But what I want you to see, if you're able to accept it, is that God did not cause or create the broken relationship and mistakes between him and us. But rather, when we look at these passages, and again, go back. If you, you, you know, sometimes I preach long, so go back, listen to it online, and then read through all these scriptures. I don't have time to do it today. But what you see is he didn't cause it. As a matter of fact, he is dealing out, right, a God-sized correction to it. So we see him correct, right? So we can see him correctly, right? So we can understand how broken we are correctly. And so we can understand uh, uh, that we need him to make the ultimate correction in our lives, in our broken lives. But hear me on this. Being the judge is not the same thing as causing and being culpable for the sin or consequence of sin. You all believe this, even though we kind of give God a hard time. You don't think you do? Okay. When Dr. 
Nassar or Nasser. Y'all know him? The gymnastics doctor from Michigan State who was found guilty of sexually abusing 160 girls and women and was sentenced to 125 plus 40 years in prison. I didn't hear one person say, Judge, you made it worse with your laws in your sentencing. I don't hear people saying, because, you know, that, that doctor, he might suffer in that jail. He might have hard times in that jail. He, he might not have all the luxuries. He, he might miss his family vacations, right? His finances might be hard. No, we, most of, most of us thought the judge is not the reason for the consequences of the wrong. Even though it would be bad, we, we, it, or he might get depressed in those four walls, right? The judge might have subjected him to those things happening, but only because the primary judgment and penalty was right and good. I'm saying some hard things. Go back again. We can go back to sermon two. I think we think we're not culpable. I think we think we're not guilty before the Lord. I think we think we're not sinners, right? Like we don't have broken relationship before God. And let me tell you, it takes a lifetime to continue to believe that. I'm saying this based on the conclusion from the last sermon again that we accept that the Bible says we are guilty before God. But bottom line, the Lord God, so we can move on in this sermon, the Lord God is the all-powerful judge of human of mankind's sin, but as the most just, holy judge in charge of it all, is not, he is not the reason or primary cause or author of our sin or the consequences of being, being affected by our sin, brokenness, and suffering. It's not the primary cause of it. As a matter of fact, he's actually dealing with our sin, not doing or causing it. Let me explain to you how this works. Again, I'm not going to go through and read every passage, but it is clear that the Lord is never doing it. Right? He is never causing sin. He is always offering help and hope and holiness and then trying to get rid of this broken imbalance between us and him and each other. But careful, right? He does so his own way of doing it. It goes back to the sovereign piece. And God's way is often messy and sometimes offensive to us. But offensive and messy to us is not the same thing as God causing or doing evil or sin or playing games with our lives. Nothing in the Bible supports that thinking. And the only thing that can lead us to think that it is our own kind of personal assessment of something we are guessing is going on in the divine realm. And you have to ask yourself, can you really trust your personal, broken, admittedly limited understanding of what God, a self-proclaimed holy God, might or might not be doing outside of what he's already told us? But this feeling, right? When you're going through something hard, being betrayed by him and possibly hoodwinked or, or tricked by him, it runs deep with us human beings. It's part of our broken humanity. And we can go back to the last sermon to see how we lack trust for him innately. And our passage today even reveals how we even despise God 
for how he deals with our brokenness. Look at Isaiah 53, that passage. It, it's not um, outlined there, so let me, let me look. Uh, it would be the one that starts with verse 1. Let's start with verse 1. It says this. Who has believed what he has heard from us? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? Arm of the Lord, of course, God's saving acts in our lives, right? For he grew up before him like a young plant and like a root out of the dry ground. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him. You could put to him, like we're not looking to follow him, right? And no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. As, and as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. You know what's going on and being described here in this almost 4,000-year-old book? God's work with people who are suffering like you and me. And it is a foreshadowing, of course, and a prophecy about what Jesus is coming to do. So it says him, it's talking about Christ and his ministry that, that's going to come. And, and you know what it is saying? God is not the author or cause of sin or our suffering mess. He is actually getting his hands dirty in our mess. So much so that he is despised for getting involved by the very people he came to save. They hate on God for the bad he seems to be a part of. So I've been, you know, I watch a lot of documentaries, but now I'm on crime shows, okay? So, I, you know, during my vacation, I was binging on as many of those Netflix police crime detective shows as possible. I don't know what's wrong with me. But the British have the best ones, y'all. You know, if you can deal with the accents, sometimes I got to put a little thing on the bottom of the TV. The, what's it called? The ca captions. But boy, Luther, what? The Fall? Man, I'm watching one called Marcella. <laughs> oh my gosh, the British got it. Sometimes I leave talking like that. <laughs> and when they look for evidence of culpability and who is to blame for a murder, when someone has the victim's blood all over their hands or their hair or the victim's hair or their DNA, they're easily made a suspect, right? And, and especially this latest uh, uh, Detective Marcella, as soon as it looked like you're guilty, she don't leave you alone, right? You're looking for someone to arrest. But do you know what they call this forensics evidence that they use to make a conclusion? Circumstantial. Hmm. Which means no eyewitness necessarily who saw and completely knew what was going on in the moment or, or even the motivation, right? And you have this kind of district attorney, a person who's like the, the brass, you know, with the, with, the, with the suit on. I can't charge this person on just circumstantial evidence or, or that we could, but it might not be enough to be just. I need more. I need the real why and what and word story. But every detective is tempted to deal with the pain and suffering and wrong to charge someone with the crime because of circumstantial evidence. This verse is saying that when we are in pain, 
and dazed and confused, it is easy to make God the villain, culpable, or the person who was there and didn't seem to care about us. He was there, and he, did, he didn't do anything in our sufferings, or he was hidden, because it was, it's true, y'all. This scripture is saying God's fingerprints are all over our lives and all over the scenes and cases of suffering and abuse and sickness and failure in our lives. His fingerprints are everywhere. If you were to pull up your case of suffering, if you were to talk to me, tell me what sickness you're going through, if you were to tell me an issue, without a shadow of a doubt, God's fingerprints will be at the scene. We are quick to say and assume and arrest and even handcuff God from being our God because he must have done this or making this happen just to be mean. And he was here, and he didn't intervene, right? I suffered. There's a lot of blood around here. His fingerprints are here. He must have done this to me. He don't love me. And we are judging God's motives and actions on the, circum on the circumstantial evidence simply that God was there. I'll give you that evidence. Whatever you went through, he was there. Consider this from the expert character witness of the Bible, because you ain't no expert character witness, right? You're just a human being. God is good all the time. And people answer all the time, God is good. Or he's holy, and he's just, and he's righteous. So guess what? We can at least say this. A good God was and is present in the nasty and bloody circumstances of our lives. Which means that the only thing, only conclusion we come to in this scripture, y'all, only thing God could possibly be guilty of in our broken lives and broken things in our lives was caring enough to get his hands bloody for us. To be involved where he didn't have to. He could have not come into the broken scenes of our lives. And he does get so involved. God gets so involved with the lives of his people, so much so that he was willing to leave the crime scene and, be, and take the blame and get dogged for being a God who is willing to be in the middle of our sinful circumstances. All that we can say is God was definitely there when we prayed. And didn't get the answer we wanted. That he was there when mama died and lost her battle with cancer. He was there when the bad report was given or our boyfriend broke up with us or we got into another marital knockdown drag out fight. He was there when we lost our job or didn't get into that school we wanted or that house didn't close at the time or your kid left home or left the faith and when you, or when you relapsed or the wildfire expanded or the trafficking of young people continued to happen. Guess what, y'all? God is guilty for being there. But I've learned that circumstantial evidence that God was there does not tell us and cannot make us expert witnesses who can determine 
what he is doing. So we must let the scriptures be the expert witness of what all this circumstantial evidence means. And among a number of things, it shows us and gives this testimony that God is often subversive in our broken situations in the world. That he is sometimes working for good under the surface, just leaving fingerprints, y'all, right? Or, or, or footprints or, or, or whatever else, or his DNA. And sometimes he's breaking through the surface with his good. So under the surface working and then breaking through the surface. Now again, go, go, back, go back to sermon one, one in this series to understand what good means. I can't go through that all again. But the Bible illustrates and describes God's good work in this fallen world as what kinds of things. And y'all can see this. You don't need a seminary degree to see this, right? Like Genesis 3.15 in your scripture says. God's work is like pregnancy, right? And Romans even comes back and says God's work is like being pregnant, in verse 22 of Romans. And then in Genesis 3.15, God's work is like seeds being planted, right? In, in, in Genesis 18 and 19, it says the same thing. Seeds and, and growth and, and crops and, and stuff you can't see coming out of the ground, right? In, in Isaiah verse 10, when it talks about what Jesus will accomplish, in verse 10, offspring is another word for seed, right? The, the flourishing of, of a seed. And, and then as unseen hope, in Romans passage. In Isaiah, get this passage, God's person he sent to save us, actually Jesus, you know, flies under the radar as an average kind of dude. He doesn't stand out. It is safe to say Jesus comes as Clark Kent. And for 30 years, he never showed us his cape. Just goofy Clark Kent. Jesus came as a hobbit, y'all. You have to do it because it says he was despised. When I see Frodo, I don't want him winning. <laughs> Big feet, small. Their only real gift is being able to hide and look like a rock. That's dumb. <laughs> right? But that's what the scripture is saying. Right? You think, who will be, who carried a ring to the mountain of Mordor, right? And throw it in and win and save all the world. Not this little rock in... <sighs> Not Elijah Wood. Is that who did it? Not Elijah Wood. Not Harry Potter. I want to break his glasses. Right? No! Drinking butterbeer. No! Your hero got to drink the real beer, not the butter beer, right? It just, it just doesn't make, I don't like that. But guess what? Y'all, if you were to translate which one Jesus looks like, he don't look like Superman, Batman, Aquaman, Wonder Woman, none of them. He looked like, he ain't supposed to be no hero. Clark Kent, right? His whole 30 year of ministry, and this is what the scripture is saying. He, we didn't esteem him. We saw him, we thought, God ain't at work. Hey, I represent God. Oh man, we're done. <laughs> hey, I was a carpenter all my life. Hey, I'm ready to die for the world. <laughs> yeah, right, Jesus. I'm, look how many, look how many, you know, fish lunches I made. That's great. But then you told us to eat your flesh and drink your blood. Something wrong. Ah, no. Right? 
but like pregnancy in the seas and the ground in Genesis. And a nerd geek, easily bullied Savior in Isaiah, there is a lot of pain and thorniness and silence and insecurity like watching grass grow from the seeds you planted. I've been watching for three years and nothing. Those some long seeds, y'all. <laughs> Okay, something else is wrong. But anyway, so like grass grow from the seeds you planted or like pregnancy. And I'm going to take a risk here talking about pregnancy, y'all. This is when you get in trouble, all right? But I'm married and we had a kid through pregnancy. Okay, but one of the happiest times in our marriage was when Kelly Sprint was pregnant. I was dancing. I gained a lot of weight too. Man, I was eating. I was happy. Baby, you want this? We got to feed the baby. No, I eat it. Right? I loved it. I love looking at that belly. I love touching it. We even bought that machine. I don't know, man. They were tricking new parents, right? We got the machine. You strap it onto the stomach and you talk. Hello there. This your dad. And it was like, science confirms that babies can hear. Man, I was talking to little Harrison and Clark. They're probably scared of me. They're probably in there. What, what is that? He's moving. That's because he's irritating him. But anyway, but we were so happy, right? But what if you didn't know what was going on when a woman got pregnant? Oh, this ain't a good thing. It would just be this stretch mark producing, weight gaining, nose and foot widening, Vomit-inducing, wrecked body leaving, can't walk in the hot heat, can't sleep on this or that side, pickle juice, juice, peanut butter, and ice cream with some spam on the side cravings. Some days just miserable experience, right? But we don't see it like that because y'all know better. And the same thing could be said about adoption for those of you who adopted kids. Just this kind of full body cavity exam by the adoption agency. Right, Mike? You know. And your life, of your life, you're just waiting for a child could just about, I mean, if you didn't know what was coming, it could just be about some people aggravating the heck out of you. And stressing you out, but you know better. I, okay, look, I got some illustrations today, right? So I was walking, I've been gone for a long time, y'all, so I've been piling them up. But I was walking in a parking lot near a field the other day, and I saw this unique-looking, velvety-textured, orange-colored giant ant. And, uh, you know, and so I looked it up on Google. Turns out it's not an ant at all, even though it's called a velvet ant. It's actually a wasp. The females are wingless, and that it has the top five, right, most painful stings. I was enamored by that, y'all. In fact, it has the longest stinger of all bugs. Pastor Brown, where are you going with this? Hang in with me. Y'all going to be sleeping by the end, but try to hang in with me, right? And so on YouTube, they have videos of this dude they call Coyote Peterson. <laughs> and he lets himself get stung by all these different bugs to measure the pain. And, and from the velvet ant to the bullet ant to the warrior wasp to the most painful bite, the desert centipede, Every time he gets bit, he says, see that? There's a welt developing. Of course there's a welt developing. You got bitten. Like he's surprised. Ah, this really hurts. Falling on the ground. And Kelly's like, oh, that's production value. But I want to believe that thing really hurts that bad. Right? Ah, look at the welt. Look at the welt. And the camera zooms in. There's a welt. Great. 
And then I fire ants where he put his hands in a mound of fire ants. He got lots of welts and some permanent damage, right? But I, so I'm like, what is a welt? So I looked up what a welt is. It's the buildup of histamines and white blood cells under the skin to protect and fight off toxins. Oh, y'all know where I'm going. God working in our broken lives and broken relation with him, with ourselves and others in this material world, sometimes produces a welt. Not the sting, but the welt of him working under the surface in our lives for good. Sometimes his work produces a pregnancy that disrupts the outside body. The Bible even says that the death of sin is like a sting, right? That suffering in this world is like being stung and disfigured and deformed and miserable, right? Like being pregnant in the ninth and a half month for a very long time. But the itch, the pain, the discomfort, the disfigurement, the embarrassment, the way hardships incapacitate you, that make you sick, that might make you convulse with pain and make your heart jump, may be, and for you believers, without a doubt, the Bible is teaching that is God working under the surface. Where all you can see is the bump, the pimple, the swell of hopelessness and fear and discontent. But in that circumstance that is making and giving rise and, and stretching you out, feels like you're going to break or pop or collapse, that just itches with anxiety all the time. By all descriptions, is God working good from the sting of sin, working good from the limitations and in the limitations of our human bodies and minds? But what usually happens with the seed, with the welt, with the pregnancy, even with that nerd in high school who grows up to be Steve Jobs or something, right? There's a breakthrough. Look at these passages, and I try not to read a lot right now, but let's look at Genesis 3.15. It says, I'll put enmity, he's talking to Satan or the serpent here, I'll put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head, but, I'm sorry, he shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel, right? Um, it's also crush instead of bruise your head. And to the woman, he said, um, I will surely multiply your pain and childbearing. In pain you shall bring forth children. And I'm not getting into the one about your desire shall be contrary to your husband. He shall rule over you. But it's a tough relationship. Ma marriage and relationships in general are going to be tough. But there's still going to be relationship. Okay, moving on. That's all I'm going to do. And that's for the marriage sermon series. So, and to Adam, he said, because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain, you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Now listen to this. Thorns and thistles, it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the plants of the field. Um, and then in Isaiah, in that passage, in verses 10 and 11, it says this, yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief when his soul makes an off offering for guilt. He shall then see his offspring. He shall prolong his days. The will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. And then it said this, out of the anguish of his soul, he shall see and then what? Be satisfied. 
right? By his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to accounted rightness, and he shall bear their iniquities. Okay. And then the Romans passage, we, we can read the whole thing there. Okay, I'm, I'm going to try to speed us through here. Well, let me read this part. I think it's just probably bad. It says, for I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed in us. Right? For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope, that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know, hear this, y'all, that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves who are the first fruits of the Spirit grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for the adoption of sons and redemption of our bodies. I love that passage when we think about our families here at Christ Central Church. Some come through the, you know, we get children through pregnancy, but it also says we're waiting for adoption. Isn't that beautiful? Just thought I'd throw that in there for free. But, um, do you see it? Not just the result, which is the blossoming crops or the newborn child or deferred dream finally happening or things finally being right. That's not what this sermon's about. This is answering the why bad of God is good. So I want us to recognize that the result of God breaking through our world, coming through the surfaces of our lives, right? like a child being born, of coming, of his coming king and kingdom in this falling in dark places and hard circumstances, addictions and bondages and all that kind of stuff is oftentimes pain producing. God breaking through for our good will cause a disturbance, an eruption, a disruption in our plans, y'all in our minds, in our bodies, and how we thought things should happen. God is promising that he is, his good has to press through. It's going to break through. It's going to stretch through. It's going to push through some blood and pus and refuse, and it's going to have to push all that stuff out, right, of the way so that we can get and finally see God's grace. That's what it's saying. God's coming kingdom, breaking through the veneer and hard crust of years of evil and sin and human pride. Y'all, it's going to break us. And it's going to break our world. The more important and most important thing happening in our lives that God wants to bring to pass, and this does not mean he's not a loving, merciful God, but sometimes his good plan for you is not primarily concerned about your temporary looks. I don't want to say that. It's not as concerned about your reputation or whether you can go on vacation where and when you want to or even how long you live 
But whether there will be a temporary suffering or hardship or thorns in the way or waiting and groaning and heartache and pain, God is too good and loves us too much and has too much unseen amazing grace and power and glory bought and stored up for us to let us live in the veneer of short-sighted comfort or in the lurch of discomfort. I hate to have to say this. His good kingdom for your ultimate rightness and his holiness is more important to him than things holding together and being under our control. So here's the hope Romans especially is giving us. Not only is it hidden under the surface, there is going to be a whole lot of straightforward, disheartening chapters and relationships and quarters on the way to the finish of God in our lives and world. Lots of new condos going up around here. Charlotte and housing and new lives and new people where there were abandoned warehouses and stuff. But you know what I see? I see just as many demolition signs as I see construction signs. God's good as a wrecking ball, y'all, sometimes in our lives, to much of what we think makes us good, that we have built historically to bring new life. It's sometimes that, that God reconstruction, redemption, restoration wreaks havoc even on our marriages. Sometimes your marriage, you think you're doing good, and boom, what happened? God may be rebuilding something. But we don't see it. Sometimes it wreaks habits in the lives of our children. Sometimes the clash of God's kingdom in the world stings us on the heel like Genesis 3 talks about. When Satan, humankind in this world and God's kingdom clash and beef for dominance, there is a crash and sparks fly and damage is done as God and his grace are breaking through. And it puts a whole new definition on breakthrough, doesn't it? Because you hear sermons, you get your breakthrough today. Scripture promises that God's breakthrough is painful and destructive sometimes. And you probably think this ain't no real grace breakthrough, a breakthrough that always looks like somebody hopping and jumping and, hey, I got my breakthrough because I worked hard and I had faith and I prayed and things, you know, smooth on through. That might not be a breakthrough of God. It might be a breakthrough of I still got control. One of my favorite commercials from the past starred Hall of Fame baseball player Frank Thomas. And not those men testosterone ones he's doing now, not those. You know, you'll be better in the weight room and in the bedroom. I hate the dumb commercials. It's dumb. Sorry if you've taken it. I'm sorry. But the one, the commercial I'm talking about, sorry, I went too long. But the one where they show him about the steel home base and he's running toward home and the catcher who is blocking home base, right, with the ball in his hand, and you hear Frank Thomas in the background saying as he is running toward this catcher, stealing home is like two trains colliding. And you see the collision, right? And as he collides with him, the catcher falls on his back, and the ball rolls out of his glove, which means Thomas is safe, right? After being steamrolled by Frank Thomas, he says, I'm the big train. Like that. See, that, that's the way Jesus should be. Yeah, the big train. Take hope in your sufferings and bad things happening in the world, that it is the collision and eruption of God coming through, that God and his good for our world, for those who are his, is the big train. It's the better train. Even if you're the one blocking the plate. 
God is steamrolling us. And it will not hold. Because, not only because we suffer, but because he suffered. Um, gosh, let's, let's, I'm trying to squeeze all this in. Let's look at Isaiah 10 and 11 real quick. And this is going to take us out here. Yet it was the will of God to crush him. That's Jesus. He has put him to grief. When his soul makes an offering for guilt, he shall see his offspring. He shall prolong his days. The will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. Out of the anguish of his soul, he shall see and be satisfied. By his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous. And he shall bear their iniquities. And then I'm not going to go through it, y'all. Genesis 3.15, um, bruises heel. Um, he'll crush the head. Right? These are references to what Christ will do. The fact that thorns and thistles come up, but then he says we'll eat from the ground, that's Christ's work over and against sin. Right? But what I want you to see is um, there was a second Adam who suffered the subverses and breakthrough pain of God in his life, in his body, that he let God's judgment for our sin and good grace for those who would be his children he allowed it to crash on him. Do you understand what I'm saying? Like we experience suffering, but this is saying we don't experience it in vain because Jesus has experienced it. So understand what happens here in, 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 all, in the scripture. Like he's openly embarrassed as a man. You know how you don't want people to know things are going bad? What's going on with you? Uh... Old football injury. No, that's not what happened. You're getting out the bed and your leg wouldn't work, right? Just, what's wrong with you? I, I, I don't want anybody to know. Can I tell you a secret to prayer for me? But don't let anybody know because you're embarrassed. And you know what you're embarrassed about sometimes? You're not actually embarrassed all the time for you looking weak. Sometimes you're embarrassed because you look like the faithful Christian and now something wrong with your life. Like, that's not to be expected. See, I've been pastoring long enough. Everybody in here got something embarrassing, okay? Everybody I know and have worked with and have been families, y'all got something embarrassing. And guess what? We got some embarrassing stuff too. This scripture saying Jesus was embarrassed. He was openly slapped by God in his face. And people said, ha, God slaps you in the face and you did everything right. He's the only person that ever walked who could say, why is bad things happening to me? I'm actually good and perfect. If you think you're embarrassed openly, if you think you good and don't deserve what you're getting, Christ suffered the anguish of everything you feel. Imagine what that must have felt like. I'm just, I'm good, I'm perfect, and I get embarrassed for y'all's sins? Why am I talking about Christ's suffering? Because your suffering's not in vain, y'all. Not because you went through some cathartic experience. You know, you have people who aren't believers talking about no pain, no gain. Okay, it's some kind of a principle. But I would lie to you if I were to say, if you don't have Christ in your life, it's okay. Because the pain you're going through, it builds character. Like, like, like that's the most important piece here. You shouldn't take hope from that. 
Scripture is saying the thing to take hope in is not in the pain or not in how we think it builds our character. We take hope because he suffered for us. And what does that mean? It means that our suffering now produces hope and grace. That's our comfort. Every time you feel pain, you can know our Savior felt pain, so I don't have to feel it anymore one day. The embarrassment you feel, you can know for a matter of fact, your Savior felt that embarrassment. And there's hope in it. Jesus subjected himself to be stung with every sickness and disease and misfortune and become deformed with infection and pus and blood and even become pregnant with our hopeless lives to save us. This last scripture here, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to this purpose. When you're going through bad and suffering, it's not easy to be happy and joyful. And sometimes when you're stung, you need to cry and yell and convulse and curse it. Because <laughs> sin and brokenness is not good. But when you receive Christ and what Jesus suffered and accomplished on the cross, you can take hope. That your sufferings are going to be for the good that the wealth means Jesus is at work. The complications of your emotional and spiritual not delivered pregnancy means hope. The seeds and thorns mean God is going to come through and provide and even death, y'all, for those who believe in Jesus. It means the big train is coming to take us home. As hard as that is. Take hope that you have a Savior that suffered for you so that your suffering would not be in vain. Why do bad things happen to even God's people? So that God's grace can be complete and full in their lives. If you don't know Christ today, there's no way to make sense of your suffering. Come to him who redeems suffering, who redeems loneliness, who redeems sickness in your body. That's what this thing's about, and we patiently wait on him through the Holy Spirit to change things in us, to give us comfort and give us hope. But there is no comfort and there is no hope outside of Christ Jesus in your pain. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much. That you broke Christ so that we could experience breakthrough. There's a lot of people in here suffering in the pains of childbearing. Lord, you're at work in their lives. It just hurts right now. We're groaning. We're in pain. We're embarrassed. Our friends who don't know you are embarrassed. Our friends that don't know you, they're going through so much hurt, so much pain. Lord, give us faith in your grace 
Give us faith that you are the suffering God. Comfort us today, because for some of us, it may just make us angrier. Hurt? Comfort us because you're God. That you went ahead and promised comfort even before we decided we didn't necessarily want it. Thank you so much for you. For those of us who don't know you today, Lord, maybe you're causing eruption and disruption in their lives because you're coming through with salvation. You're coming through with hope. I pray that you would continue to do that to bring them closer to you. Thank you for your goodness, Christ. Thank you for the comfort you promise of your Holy Spirit. Comfort us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.